0: Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. This episode was recorded on November 15th, 2023. Now let's get started with our host today, AVP and Council Head of Advanced Markets, Carly Brooks.
1: Hello and welcome to Hancock Talks. It's Long-Term Care Awareness Month and today we will discuss how long-term care coverage can fit within your clients' plans and help them see the benefits of planning ahead. Here to talk more about this is Harley Gordon. Harley is a founding member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. He has over 30 years' experience helping families deal with the financial consequences of providing long term care to a family member. His views have been featured in many national publications and media sources, including The Wall Street Journal, CBS Nightly News, and he has written for industry publications including Senior Market Advisor, Life Insurance Selling, and National Underwriter. Welcome to the
2: show, Harley. Hello, Carly. Thank you for the invite.
1: So, Harley, you clearly have so much experience providing education and awareness around long-term care planning. And as we were preparing for today, I learned something fascinating about you, and that is that you initially started your career as an elder law attorney. Can you give us some background as we level set our conversation today on your experience working as an elder law attorney and how you came to work in the financial services industry?
2: Well, I actually started doing domestic relations, which is divorce work. and I had an opportunity to do a radio show at a local station here and was on a Sunday program. and it was legal calling. It was one of the first in the country, and I would get questions, landlord, tenant, whatever it might be. But on occasion, I get a question from a from a uh, listener who wants to know about what pays for a nursing home. My father just had a stroke. We can't take care of it at the house anymore. what pays. So of course, they were talking about Medicare, Medicaid, or perhaps the VA. And frankly, I really didn't understand those businesses. At the time, I was only 33, 34 years old. So here's the interesting part, Carly. I tried to get information on Medicaid or financing of long-term care, which I call extended care. There were very, very few attorneys who understood the business or the comparison between the three. So I took it upon myself to learn, and that's how I got involved with the long-term care business. It started as being an advocate for a discussion about a subject that many people don't want to talk about. They they don't want to be considered old. They don't want to talk about being a burden to anyone. But I really expanded it to the consequences, not to the person who needs care, but to the family. And that's how I got into this business. I found there was a market for my ideas with carriers who are interested in learning about a subject and interested in how to present that to families. So as they age, the family ages, they were able to conduct a conversation that would talk about what would happen if there was no plan in place to deal with the subject. So that's brief history of it. And uh, I've been in it ever since over 30 years.
1: That's great. Thank you for the background. And I, I know that you pointed out that long term care can be a subject that's really hard to talk about. So having that advocacy and background is so important. And as we think about the long-term care conversation, there's been a lot of discussion undoubtedly about the aging population that we face. And so some studies show that by 2050, an estimated 30 million people will require some sort of long-term care services. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to be having those conversations with clients about planning for a long-term care event now?
2: Well, let me start by looking at the carriers who were selling uh, long-term care insurance products or products that paid for it and I'm not licensed. I don't care when I'm talking to someone whether or not they have the product or not. What I was interested in was the subject matter, and there was very little attention paid to the consequences. I repeat that word, the consequences a long-term care event had not only the individual, because he or she will be taken care of, but those people who have put aside a good portion of their lives to take care of a person, Carly, who's so fragile and so frail that they're no longer safe. And that's what I ended up focusing on. Not a product, not how to sell it, not using risk and statistics and cost of care, because people just don't think it will happen. But when you talk about a subject that impacts his or her commitment to a family, and that commitment is absolute, when you start talking about what happens to a spouse who would have no choice but to put aside her or his life, to take care of a person who needs constant care, that gets someone's attention. In particular, when I were talking to families, I would say to a husband, for example, let's say there were two kids. I'd say, Frank, I can't imagine you want your kids involved if you ever needed care. And Carly, a decent father, says, what? It's none of their business. I I don't want them involved. I'll take care of it. But listen, listen to what I would say to her. It really sums up the subject matter. Pause is intentional. Frank, tell me what choice they'll have. And then they start thinking not about him or her, but about them. And that's really what the conversation needs to be. A need for care involves the entire family. It entails going into a portfolio that was never allocated to pay for care. And so that's what the subject matter is. And the more people understand how serious those consequences are to people they love, people that they've promised to provide for and take care of, then you get your attention. And what we focus next on is not a product, but on a plan and how to mitigate the consequences of this awful event.
1: So, Harley, what you said really jumped out at me here. It's thinking about the long-term care conversation. Not as a product, but a problem, really. And what's that problem that we're trying to solve for and how might a lack of planning impact caregivers? And so really helpful background that you can share there. Something we come up across, and you touched on this briefly, is that many clients think this is one of those things that's never going to happen to them. So we we may be working with clients that feel they're not going to need care. Can you talk a little bit more, expand on some of the ways that you address that conversation and some of those objections that we see towards having that planning conversation?
2: terrific question. So here's my response. It's not going to happen to him. It's going to happen to them. That's all you have to say. Now, the person says, what do you mean? Tell me more. And so what you do, particularly when you're talking to men, you have to lay out, you have to take a look, step back and take a look at the consequences of not making a decision. I've often said there are long-term consequences to short-term decisions. By that, I mean, if you don't want to have this conversation, Frank, you don't think it's going to happen to you, I'm not going to argue with you, but take this away with you. It won't happen to you. It will happen to them. Now, if you're talking about a person who loves their family, and here's a critical thought, and who has made not a commitment but an absolute commitment, in other words, whatever promises he or she has made to another must be kept. When you think about it, Carly, that's really life insurance. It's a physical manifestation of an absolute commitment, and the conversation is the same. Once you explain that providing care to someone who's so frail and so fragile isn't an option, it must be done. And then you lay out what those consequences are. Here, providing care to someone who's chronically ill makes healthy caregivers chronically ill. It compels a child. She doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it, but it compels a child, think about this for a second, to put aside his or her life. What happens to her relationship with a spouse, with her children, with her employment? Now, I give the example of a former spouse, Carolyn, who I'm very close with. I purchased a product for her because I understood that if she needed care, she never remarried. I played out. That's a critical concept here, Carly. I played out the consequences. Which one of my children would put aside his or her life? What does that do to her life? And perhaps just as important, what does it do to her relationship with siblings who don't want to help? So once you put it in those terms, you never talk about risk. You never talk about a product. You simply bring someone back to why he or she got in the business of having a family in the first place. And Carly, I'll tell you, it was very, very successful. Uh, When I got in the business, everyone suspected I was a spy for the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. I was trying to do Medicaid planning. I loved the industry, but I thought the direction it was going in was wrong. And that was the basis of this concept of changing a risk conversation to a consequence conversation, a product conversation, to a planning conversation. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. If someone takes away from this meeting, Carly, and says, you know, I never thought of it like that, then we've done our job. What follows next is to explain what those consequences are and then put together a plan to mitigate them.
1: Harley, thank you for that and for sharing that story. And it's impactful, I think, too, for many of our clients that do have children to phrase it that way. So you gave that example of a client that you worked with, which child is going to be the one that's going to provide that care? And that's a reality that I think many people you know, would want to, to be planning for to address. And I think many of our listeners, too, you know, have both personal and professional experiences with long-term care and understanding a lot of the statistics and yeah. things that come out around the impact that informal caregiving can have on on caregivers is just so telling. Um, you know, it often disproportionately impacts women and daughters as well. So, really helpful background there. And I know you do a great job having those conversations.
2: Listen, I just want to I want to jump in for one second. I want I want to pick up on a point you made. Yeah, please. And when I take these pauses, they're intentional so people can actually listen to what I'm saying. You have a situation like this where a parent needs care of an extended period of years, long term care. You want to hear consequences there's a very good possibility that children would never talk to each other again. When I was doing Medicaid, when I was doing so-called Medicaid planning, that's how I got in this business, I'd have families, I'd have a, I'd have a, a brother say, tell my sister I'm never going to talk to her again. You know where the sister is, Carly? Across the table. He won't even talk to his sister. By the way, if you want to keep a family together, keep them apart. And what this event requires the family to do is to sit in a room to discuss and argue, and, uh, you know, who's going to take care of her? Where is she going to be taken care of? Who's going to pay for it? Four children? There are actually five. You know what one one of the children says? I don't care. She can do whatever she wants. I'm out of it. So those are the consequences of not thinking about this when you're healthy and understand that this is part of your commitment to protect families at all stages of life.
1: And. that's a really good point. So, if you think about it, it's not just the impact, you know, the physical and emotional tool that caregiving can provide. It's also the financial tool too. And so, that is where I think when you're setting this up as a problem and a solution and the planning need, there are products on the market to help address that. And so, when we think about the financial professionals that we work with and the impact that long-term care can have on their business, you know, what would you say to our listeners today to help understand some of the issues that can arise? for them as they're working with their clients and if their clients are facing a long-term care event, how might that impact the financial professional and what can we do to get ahead of
2: that? So when you're talking to, uh, it's a new conversation, the first question I ask, assume that he or she is married. How long have you been married? No answer. What commitments did you make to each other? And then they'll talk about the commitments. Here's an important point. Are those commitments absolute? Must they be kept? And when you're talking about a decent couple, a decent husband, a decent wife, you know what the answer is, Carly? The answer is yes, they have to be kept. So now let's take a look at events that are not going to happen. Now, why would you say that? Because when you're talking to a couple, men in particular, I'm not telling you anything secret here, they deeply believe the event's not going to happen to them. So instead of saying, well, that's not true, Frank, based on statistics, you got an X percent chance. Here's what the cost is, a nursing home. You've lost him. There's no possibility of putting together a plan because he thinks the only reason you brought this up was to sell a product. But the approach that we take that's been very successful is to remind him or her or them why they got in the business of having a family in the first place. They're married for 35 years. Listen to this question. Has anything changed? Their answer is no. And then you talk about a subject that is very difficult to bring up. But the point of that conversation is to bring him or her back to why they got in the business, Carly, of having a family in the first place. If you told me, I have three children with my first wife, who again, I'm very close with. I have a child with my current wife, Susan. If you told me that one of them would have to put aside their lives to take care of me, that's unacceptable. Then I'd ask you, why would you say that? And I explained to you what I just said to you and to your listeners. That you become so frail and so fragile that you're no longer safe now watch the questions well what if I don't need care now generally you were taught to say what you could based on statistics you know what we teach people to say you're not and why would you say that to someone because that's what they believe but then you say but if you did tell me what you think the consequences are to that and that gets them to start thinking so you can never talk about product you can never talk about statistics or cost of care or risk. You simply bring a decent person back to why he or she got in the business of having a family in the first place. And there is no more disruptive event in someone's life than providing care over an extended period of years. I don't know if you've gone through it, Carly, but it is absolutely devastating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, and like I said, I think many people do have that personal experience. I yes. know for me, it was sort of watching my parents go through that with my grandparents and the toll that it puts on them. So I know many people probably have similar experiences and stories. And so let's talk for a minute, Harley, about the finances of long-term care. So I I know something we're all very familiar with. It's expensive. But many clients that we work with, particularly those high net worth clients, sometimes the objection that we hear to planning is that they're just going to self-insure. And so even if you're maybe working out the nuances of who's going to actually provide the care from, again, a physical and an emotional standpoint, as it relates to the financial piece of that, They're going to self-insure and they feel like they may have enough assets to pay for care out of pocket. How do you suggest financial professionals respond to that idea?
2: Well, these are great questions. The reason the person believes that he or she can cover the cost out of their own pocket is very simple. They deeply believe the event won't happen. Fair statement. Would you agree with that, Carly? Absolutely. Now watch. If the event is not going to happen, there's no risk of it happening in my mind, not yours, but my mind. In my mind, Carly, are there any consequences? No. Right. So what do we need to talk to you about this long-term nursing home, whatever it is? Because they think the only reason you're talking about statistics is to get them to buy a product. So here's what we suggest. You can cover the cost of care. You've got a portfolio of, let's say, $2 million. So you agree with the person and say you can cover the cost, but let's take a look at the consequences of doing so. That just got their attention. So then we take a look at, for example, liquidating stock. It has a short basis. In other words, you didn't pay very much for the stock. It's appreciated. And of course, there's a capital gains tax, but not if it goes to the estate. So you point out that if you liquidate the investment, there are serious taxes. We take a look at liquidity. I had two very successful businesses. I wasn't liquid. How am I going to pay for my care if my businesses aren't liquid? Very good income, but how do I pay for that care? Here's another thought. Every dollar... I use to pay for my care is $1 less that will generate future income, which means I'm violating my principle of making sure my spouse never has to turn to the children for help. Now, have I said one word about it happening to him? No. But what the conversation talks about happening to them. I will also tell you this. I think, could be wrong, the sun comes up in the east in the morning. If you agree, I will also tell you that this person who's willing to self-insure ever has a slight stroke or whatever it might happen. He doesn't tell his wife he just had a stroke. He calls up his insurance professional asking for what? Long-term care insurance. You see, he was willing to cover the cost until it happened. Now, why was he willing to cover it? Because the whole approach to the industry was wrong. Instead of looking at a series of consequences to this person, you focused on a risk happening to him. So that's how you deal with it. You simply lay out, here are the consequences of selling stock. Here are the consequences of not having liquidity. By the way, with regard to cash flow, watch what happens. Every dollar of that income generated in retirement has already committed to expenses. How do you pay for care and cover those expenses at the same time? So the end result is people like myself, who used to do so-called Medicaid planning, would see people who had assets. Medicaid wasn't for poor people. (laughs) Medicaid was for, for wealthy people who didn't want to spend their money in a nursing home. What did they all share in common? You're right, Carly, never thought it would happen to them. Now that it happens to them, they're looking for long-term care insurance or they're looking to protect their assets so they can get on the program. So your point's very, very well taken. It's how you approach the subject with people. So instead of threatening them with risk and statistic and cost of care, you simply bring her or him back to why they got in the business of having a family in the first place. And you know something? It works. It works. Very effective.
1: Harley, it's a great way to frame it. I think we spent a lot of time, too, talking about the need to plan now and some of the decisions around things like the cost of waiting to plan and yeah. how waiting to plan may also impact the options that you have on the table as well. So some of the products that might be available today, if you wait to plan and then do later have you know, health care changes, how do you address that as well to create some of that urgency today?
2: So it doesn't become Medicaid planning, it becomes crisis intervention. You're already in the nursing home, 78 years old. The wife providing care to keep him at home has become as fragile as he is. A child, Lily, for example. Now, Carolyn's not remarried, my first wife. I had to play out, listen, everyone, particularly the guys in the audience. I had to play out what would happen to one of my three children. Now, Ian with Susan is not going to take care of Carolyn, but I have Lily, Benjamin, and Emily. Which one will do that? Now, remember, she's in a crisis. Can we protect the money? Very difficult because of what's called a look-back period. So you see what you just created for yourself? You created for yourself a mess. And an attorney like myself is trying to protect assets when it's very, very difficult to do so. The better option is to talk about a plan when you don't need it. Let me sum it up this way. If an advisor does his or her job correctly, the client lets you put together a plan to protect the family from an event he or she deeply believes what? won't happen. That's how conversation should take place. I know I'm not going to need care, but just in case, based upon what my advisor told me how serious the consequences are, I want to put together a plan. That's how it should work. And by the way, talking about a product, you don't talk about a product. At the very end, you ask, what do you think will fund the plan? And that's where insurance has a place. But never, ever, ever in the beginning of a conversation. And the conversation should never be focused on how to try, how to sell a product. Your client knows you're trying to do it, not going to work.
1: Harley, that was a really great point. And you clearly are so passionate about this subject and have so much experience. Can't thank you enough for being here today. Before we let you go, are there any final thoughts or things that you'd like to add?
2: Well, obviously, I love the industry, and they were very gracious and kind to let me share these ideas. You know, when I got in this business, Carly, everyone thought I was a spy for for Medicaid planning attorneys. I had to earn the trust of the long term care insurance industry, and these ideas have now become pretty much universal. You know something, Carly? It's very respectful to talk to a client and to remind him or her why they got in the business of having a family. Is that commitment still there? And if it is, your responsibility is to talk about things they don't necessarily want to talk about, but here's the key, needs to be talked about. They need to hear it. Let them make a decision after you've made the statement. But the advisor has to believe the subject matter is important enough to take 10, 15 minutes to go over what would happen, not to him, not to your husband, but to your spouse. One more thing, if I may? I've got 30 seconds.
1: Yes, please. Of course.
2: Conversations, second marriages. Now, play that out for a second. I'm in a second marriage. My wife has four children. I have three. We have one together. I need care. My wife starts taking care of me. She starts to fail emotionally and physically. What do her kids think? What is she doing to take care of this guy? It's not my father. Why aren't his kids helping out? And money? What if I run out of money? You know whose money I'd be spending? The kids' money. So these conversations are appropriate, The question is, if I might, does the attorney believe they're worth having? And that's really one of the purposes of this meeting, of this conversation. Maybe they leave the meeting thinking, you know, something I never thought of as a consequence. I never thought about it as what happens to a family and portfolio. I was thinking about it as a risk. And that's just not the appropriate way to look at it. So I appreciate the time. I hope this is helpful.
1: Thanks again for joining us, Harley.
2: You're very welcome.
1: And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic and access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit us at jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening.
0: This information is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a recommendation of any particular product or is providing advice. Clients should consult with their own independent professionals regarding their own individual circumstances. This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice. It is not intended for use by the taxpayer for the purposes of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of the time we produce the material. All information and materials provided by John Hancock are to support the marketing and sale of our products and services and are not intended to be impartial advice or recommendations. John Hancock and its representatives will receive compensation from such sales or services. Anyone interested in these transactions transactions transactions, or topics may want to seek advice based on their particular circumstances from independent professionals. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. These opinions are subject to change and there is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. The source for By 2050, 30 Million People was from Zipia, 25 Insightful Nursing Home Statistics, 2023. How many nursing homes are in the U.S.? Zipia.com slash advice slash nursing-home-statistics. Policy issuance is not guaranteed, as any life insurance purchase is subject to completion of an application, including health questions and underwriting approval. John Hancock may obtain additional information, including medical records, to evaluate the application for insurance, and after the policy is issued, to identify any misrepresentation in the application. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA, Boston Mass 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York 1059. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. MLINY 111023615-1